Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Now, if you've ever read that scripture, you read over fast, you don't, it don't dawn on you. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Thank you for that thunder, amen. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit said he was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So for the first time, I begin to think Egypt was not what I thought it was. Because I thought my exodus from Egypt was me leaving the bondage of the world. And it can include that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But what he was talking about was the bondage of an old covenant system that made you a slave and not a son. So he was talking about it. Listen, there is an exodus paradigm all through the New Testament. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and, and Elijah, the law and the prophets, appear to Jesus, the Bible said they spoke to him concerning his decease. Do you know that the Greek word for deceased there is the Greek word exodus? So here's the leader of the first exodus talking to the leader of the real exodus. Here's the Moses who offered a physical lamb talking to Jesus, the real lamb of God. And they speak to him concerning his decease. And he said, I brought him out of a physical bondage, but you're about to deliver him from religious bondage. You're about to deliver him from an old covenant that made a slave out of you and not a son. It is not, listen, I just wrote a new book. Matter of fact, Bishop Tony Miller wrote the foreword to this book. Probably the last one he wrote a foreword to. And in this book called The Great I Am, I just released it in July. I talk about how Jesus in John chapter 5, I know I got these guys standing, but I'm not, I'm not done with them yet. John chapter 5, Jesus leaves the Passover. Say Passover. He crosses the Sea of Tiberias, and they're in a wilderness, and the people are hungry. And he says to the disciples, they come to him and say, the people are hungry, send them away, they get something to eat. Jesus said, you feed them. Because he himself knew what he would do. The reason he knew what he would do is because this ain't the first time he ever fed a multitude in the wilderness. After the Passover and after crossing the sea. Y'all ain't in the room yet, come on. Do you remember another time when they ate the Passover? Then they crossed the sea and they're in the wilderness and God made manna fall from heaven and he fed the multitude. So Jesus leaves the feast of Passover. They cross the Sea of Tiberias. They're in the wilderness. And Jesus takes five loaves of bread, two small fish, breaks it, gives it to the multitude, and feeds 5,000, not counting women and children. And after they're done eating, the people look at Jesus and say, what sign do you show us? I'm like, I'd be like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, I'm just done. I mean, I don't know what else to do for you people. He just repeated the exodus under Moses, and then he says these exact, they said, what sign do you show us? Jesus said, your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. In other words, you thought that was the bread. That ain't the bread. I'm the bread. Come on. And by the way, there was 12 baskets taken up. That's one for every apostle to carry the message of the new covenant to the other side. And sometimes the other side is the new covenant side. And in order to do that, you might hit some stormy wind. 
So there's an Exodus paradigm coming out of law into grace. Here's what's happening in Acts chapter 12 or ch- chapter 15. They're talking about leaving the old covenant, leaving circumcision, leaving the rules. Do we need to put these Gentiles back up under the law and demand to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? And the apostles stand up and say, listen, man, why do we want to put a yoke on them that neither we nor they could keep? And he clearly tells them, here was the apostolic council at Jerusalem. We are not going back under the law. I wish you'd slap somebody and say, I ain't going back. You can do what you want to, but I ain't going back. I done got my life back and I'm enjoying my journey. I'm enjoying my salvation. I'm enjoying operating in the power of a resurrected life. But let me get this real quick. Because once they cross the Red Sea, they're delivered by blood and then they're delivered by the water to the Red Sea. Exactly 50 days later, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai and God comes down on the mountain and gives them the law. Rules on rocks. 3,000 people drop dead. Fast forward, New Testament. Jesus, the real Lamb of God, night before his decease, he eats the Passover. Duh! Why? Because it's inaugurating another exodus. He said, with great desire have I desired to eat because this is the last lamb you're ever going to have to kill. Because tomorrow the ultimate Lamb of God is about to deliver you. And your salvation is, yes, from the world. But it's also from the curse of the law. I'm delivering you from an old covenant. And I'm going to give birth to a new covenant. And this is my covenant in my blood. And I want you to drink it all. And it's, come on, somebody. This is my body. It was broken for you. And exactly 50 days later... Possibly in the same upper room. There's 120 of them, and this time another cloud comes down on the mountain, and this time God don't give them rules on rocks. He gives them the Holy Ghost. Now this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say tonight. So catch this. So that in the new covenant, the Holy Ghost is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. So see, if, if listen, if we want to go back to preaching law. I, I'm, okay, I'm going to hit this good tonight. We want to go back to preaching law because it fits our culture and we can control people with it. And the reason we do that is because we don't believe the Holy Ghost can do what the Holy Ghost said he can do. But if the Holy Ghost can't make you behave, all the church sheriffs you want to hire aren't going to get the job done. But I can tell you what I hear God saying in this hour is there's coming a fresh emphasis on the work of the Holy Ghost in the church. And we're going to stop treating the Holy Ghost like the crazy uncle we keep in the basement because we're afraid if he gets loose on a Sunday morning, he's going to scare our prominent guests. Because when your prominent guests get COVID or their child's locked up in jail or they're on prison or they're on drugs, they're looking for a church full of the Holy Ghost that'll let the crazy uncle loose once in a while we're like a bunch of, we're like Tim the tool man we got these power tools called nine gifts of the spirit we don't know how to use them we don't know how to plug them in 
We don't know how to pull the trigger. Can I tell you, in the last last year, God's really dealt with me about praying in the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues and getting somebody, somebody in mind. I, I think about, come on, hallelujah. When I think about Bishop's father-in-law tonight, I want to just say, I lay hands on myself. I talk to myself. I'm a little Pentecostal, hallelujah. Because I believe there's coming a fresh emphasis on the work of the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost will not just make you talk in tongues. It'll make you apologize to your neighbor. It'll make you live right. It'll get inside of you and sit the no-no button or the yes-yes button. It'll lead you and guide you because they that are led by the Spirit are sons. What's the contrast? They're not led by the law. Now, now, let me try to get this for I got so these guys, these guys don't have to stand up here all night. So on John chapter 12, see, they're trying to bring the ark because only when you get the ark into the tabernacle, only when you get the ark in your presence, the, the chest carrying the covenant, can you get presence. So on John chapter 20, I don't know, I, 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 hold your arms up again because some of them got this picture, some of them didn't. On John chapter 20, when Mary stooped down and the stone was rolled away, not to release dead stinking flesh, but to release the power of a resurrected life, she sees an angel at the head and an angel at the foot of where Jesus had lain. What Mary just found was the object standing in the light that that was a shadow of, that that mercy seat back here was only a shadow of this thing standing in the light because between these two cherubims is what's called your propitiation. It is the Greek word mercy seat. What Mary just found was the real ark of the covenant of the Lord. And if you've got an enemy, all you've got to do is carry that ark right down in the middle of it and God will show up. Because he always operates on the basis of his covenant. Now, I've got to hit this a minute. I, I, I can't work this patch all night. Because the more I've studied this, the bigger it's got. The first usage of the word ark in the Old Testament is not translated ark. The first usage of the word ark is translated as a coffin. And it's where Joseph gave commandment concerning his bones and said, don't you leave my coffin in Egypt. So what they did was they carried the death of a Savior. Because he said, don't you leave my bones in Egypt. Lay them. You're going to carry them into the promised land. Lay me somewhere near the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Because one day, there's going to be another Joseph shows up. Uh, hey. Hallelujah. And when he shows up, uh, there's going to be a getting up morning. There's going to be, don't you, if you, look, they were all complaining. Is there no graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die because there's no graves in Egypt? I could tell you there was at least one empty one. And that was the tomb of Joseph. Come on, somebody. But here's what I'm after with the word coffin. There were three things in this ark. And I don't have time to develop this because I've got a whole message just on this. There was three things in this ark. The unbroken tablets of the law, the rod of Aaron that budded, and the golden pot of manna. Now what I want to tell you is that this ark was a coffin to the law. 
Say, give me some scripture. Romans 7. You have become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Hallelujah. That you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Jesus perfectly kept the law so that every time God sees you in him, he sees you as if you kept every jot, every tittle, and everything it demanded. Come on. He was the perfect sacrifice who knew no sin and took the handwriting of ordinance that was against you and nailed it to the cross. The handwriting of ordinance that was against you was the law. It is the weapon the enemy uses of consciousness condemnation to form against you. I wish I had all night tonight. So you become dead not just to sin. Matter of fact, it is the law that causes sin. Give me some scripture. For sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace. Turn it around. Sin will have dominion over you if you're under law and not under grace. It is not grace. I'm not talking about some stuff being preached. But grace will not make you a sinner. It is the grace of God, Titus said, who has appeared to all men teaching us to deny ungodliness. Come on, somebody. Where sin abounds, that's where grace was super. If you got hyper sin, you need super hyper grace. Because hyper grace don't leave you like you were. It brings the Holy Ghost, puts it inside of you. It doesn't have a bunch of demand. It has a bunch of supply. God fills you with himself. Uh, he makes you a new creation. And, and I might be a little bit aggravated on the play of some of these words, but I see people all the time, and I know where some of it's coming from. It's like God's trying to make us what it means to be human. I, I understand what they're trying to say, but God is trying to do more than just make you know what it means to be human. He wants you to understand what it means to be new creation and what it means to be in Christ uh, with a Holy Spirit. And if you've got a Holy Ghost living inside of you, it's going to produce a holy life. All the law can do is tell you how bad you are. But the Holy Ghost says, I'm your helper. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to testify about what is true. I'm your advocate. I'm your paraclete. Hallelujah. And now we got Gentiles and Italians showing up in Jerusalem full of the Holy Ghost who ain't keeping the rules like they think they ought to because these folk ain't holy like we are. We, we've kept all the rules. See, that's what's going on in Jerusalem. We got circumcised. Bless God, you all going to go through the same pain we did. Because misery loves company. Religion robbed us. It's going to rob you too. Ah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, when I look at this ark and raise your hands again, and I think about this blood-sprinkled mercy, in it is the unbroken tablets that you're become dead to the law by the body of Christ. It had the rod of Aaron that budded. It was God saying that's the end of the Levitical priesthood because there's a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek is coming. It had a golden pot of manna in it. And what that golden pot was, when God gave them the manna, he said, I'm going to give them manna and I'm going to tell them how much of it to gather to see if they will obey my law or no. Survey says they didn't keep the law, but Jesus did. He became the true bread. He kept every jot tittle put it in the coffin, buried it, and put a lid on it. I wish you'd slap two people and tell them, put a lid on it tonight. I'm going to put a, tell somebody else, I'm going to put a lid on it tonight. 
I'm not going to live in guilt, condemnation, and fear of what the law and the curses of the law. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus being made a curse for me. I ain't under Adam's curse. I ain't under a generational curse. On Calvary's tree, Jesus said, I thirst. And they went and got him the sour grapes so he could drink every generational curse you had coming so that, come on, you could get the blessing. I'm talking about that'll make a praise, that'll jerk a praise. When you see that ark come up the road, you see that kind of an ark come up the road. You see a priesthood carrying this kind of ark up the road which says, God already kept the rules for me. I, he already dealt with my rebellion. He put it, I'm covered by a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. I, it'll make me want to dance. I, it'll make me want to shout I, because that's what... I, you won't have to pump. You won't have to pump me. You won't have to prime me. You see what I'm preaching tonight? It'll jerk a praise up out of you. You'd be riding down the road, leaning back in your car with a sneaking grin on your face, uh, saying this is too good to be true. And when it dawns on you, it is, uh, you're going to shout, it must be the gospel, huh? because it's actually the good news. See, that's why David would say in Psalm 91, raise your arms again. I can trust what's under his wings. See, that brings new meaning to he that dwells in the secret. It's not a mystical enigma. He that dwells in the secret place. I'm in union with Christ. I'm one with him. He's in me. I'm in him. Hallelujah. I'm in union with him. And because I am, hallelujah, I can trust what's up underneath of his wing. It's a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. And a, hallelujah. And everywhere you take the ark, and just like it did when it was in the house of Obed-Edom, the people started to be blessed. Because when you bring this ark, see, that's what's happening in Acts. They're bringing the message of this finished work of Jesus Christ because when they brought the ark back up, you guys can be seated. Give these guys a hand. We got the picture. When they... When they brought the ark back up, I know I'm trumpeting, I'm dumping a truckload on you tonight, but I just got one shot tonight. Every six steps, they stopped and offered sacrifice. Everything means something to me. Because in Solomon's temple, there was six steps to the throne. In the tabernacle of Moses, there was two stacks of six loaves of bread. And what those six stacks of bread are the bread of his face or the bread of coming I mean, he said I'm the true bread just to cut through the fat say give me the bread give me the bread what is the bread Jesus broke the bread he said this is my body it was broken for you here's the six steps every six steps Jesus was crucified he died and he was buried that's what happened to who you used to be then he was quickened he was raised and he's right now seated that's one stack of bread. That's what Jesus did in his redemptive work. He was crucified, died, buried, quickened, raised, and seated. But Paul got a hold of that and he said, but you were crucified with Christ. You died with him. You ain't dying. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I, I... Then you were buried with him in baptism. Come on. 
See, where, where you're at in the journey is, is important. A lot of people want to don't, don't want to preach the whole thing of it. But the truth of it is, he, I was crucified, died, and buried, but I've also been quickened. I've been raised. Come on. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Come on. How, how, and then he raised us up and made us sit together, seated with him. What do you say? Every six steps, in order to bring the presence of God back, you've got to recognize uh, I was crucified. Uh, I died. Uh, I was buried. Uh, I've been quickened. Uh, I've been raised. Uh, and I'm right now, not some glad morning, not in a sweet vine by. I'm raised and seated right now. They brought the ark back up. And when they started to bring the ark up, they said, let's bring it back up. Let's put some gold hemorrhoids in it, some gold rats. And let's put it on a cart with two milk cows. Now, to me, milk speaks of righteousness. What do you mean? Because it says those that are unskillful in the word of righteousness need milk. So we're trying to find out a way to become righteous. Except under the old covenant, it's based on, did you keep all the rules? Except here's the end of the law, Romans 1, 2, and 3. There's none righteous. No, not even one, not even Moses. The mediator of that covenant made it in by the works of the law. That's another message. Even the mediator didn't make it. So if you think you can, knock yourself out. I don't even argue with people anymore. They say, Brother Howes, we are under the law. I say, how's that working for you? Show up at tomorrow night's circumcision service and we'll see how that goes. I literally did that up in uh, Peculiar, Missouri years ago. I said, took the scripture where Jesus said, your eye fin, you poke it out, your hand fin, you chop it off. I had a hand chopping line and an eye poking line and nobody was getting in my prayer line, Pastor Jay. Nobody wondered I poked that. Jesus preached this stuff. You know why? Because Jesus was preaching the law in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to show them there's none of you making it. And then I said, I need one more knife and I, I'm going to run a circumcision line. And a little, little guy pulls out this, look like a little tiny little old, or this lady, I guess, offered a knife and had a little old tiny, uh, you know, one of them little uh, uh, Swiss Army knives. And she said, brother, how's you use knife? I said, well, okay. And so I, need, I said, I need one more volunteer. And an old man in the back race, he said, Dr. Howes, I'll help you. I said, okay, come on up here. He said, but that ain't a knife. And he pulled out of his hip pocket what looked like a crocodile Dundee knife. He said, but that ain't a knife. This is a knife. I said, well, that might be a little overkill because I want you to run my circumcision line tonight. I stood there, Pastor Jay, and I said, I'm going to sing just as I am without one plea. If you had your hand cut off, your eye poked out, or you want circumcised, get in these lines. Guess what? If I'd have had a prophecy line for blessing. Come on, somebody. If I'd have, come on, I, I, you, they, but what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus didn't put the nail on the proverbial coffin in Matthew 5, 45. So there's nothing that is acceptable except be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Except on the basis of the law, there's nobody that's perfect. And listen, I, I may have shared this the last time I was here, but even under the old covenant, when the sin offering was offered, the sinner would bring a lamb to a priest. 
let me example this one more time. Stand up again. Stand up. Would you stand up again? You three guys stand right here. Hallelujah. We'll do this really quick because I'm trying to get done here. This, this, is a, this is a sinner. No, 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 no. We're going to make him the lamb. Come on, because y'all think, think he's the sinner. <laughs> and I'm just going to throw you off because we need, a, we need a woolly lamb. Hallelujah. And I need you right here. He's the sinner because y'all think he's holy. And he's the high priest because he's got a cross on. Hallelujah. So Josh needs to get to Jesus, or he needs to get to God. And the only way to get to God under the old covenant is through blood, the blood of a spotless lamb. So you get your lamb, and you bring your lamb over here to the high priest. And then you would lay your hands on the head of the lamb and confess your sin over him. See, Hebrews 6 is talking. When Hebrews 6 says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of faith towards God and of laying on of hands. He was talking about an old covenant ritual of putting your sins on a lamb. And the baptisms he was talking about was divers' washings. He's talking about moving from old covenant to new covenant. But when Josh puts his head on the head of this lamb and confesses his sin, he then has conveyed, he laid on him the iniquity. Everything Josh had coming has now been laid on the lamb. And then you hand your lamb to the high priest. And then you step back, if you would, past Josh. And then the high priest would have to examine the lamb. Would you examine my lamb, please? And then tell me what you think about my lamb. I don't see too many spots. Got a couple of wrinkles, but it's okay. <laughs> okay, well we got to get another. We got to get another lamb then. Here, even Pilate, watch this. Even Pilate said, "I have." He said. This is innocent blood. Judas, who was a devil, said, I have betrayed innocent blood. But what I want you to see is the sinner is never examined. Your acceptance was not based on how good you are. I'm talking about what will jerk a praise up out of you. You're accepted on the basis of how good your lamb is. And your lamb is what's accepted. And your lamb is what's examined. But here's what we do every Sunday morning. We examine Josh. And we look for his spots, his wrinkles, his blemishes, his problems, his sin. His and what happens is it shuts up faith. And Josh walks away saying, I'm disqualified. I'm unholy. I didn't make it. I'm not righteous. Because there's none righteous. No, not one under the law. Come on, somebody. But watch this. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, by, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. And you're sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So that when Josh, come on, laid his hands on the head of a lamb and confessed, come on, hallelujah, and received the work of Calvary. God accepted him and the beloved forever perfected to meet the criteria of John. Come on. Of be ye therefore perfect is not on the basis of your performance. It's on the basis of a sacrifice. I see an ark. I see an ark coming up the road. I see, no wonder David would want to dance. Because I feel like dancing tonight myself because I didn't think I was holy. I didn't think I was good enough. I felt like I was disqualified. I always felt second class. I always felt like God could never use me. 
Then I started watching the lamb. I started looking at the lamb. And instead of preaching Josh, I started preaching Jesus. I started preaching him. I started. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.